All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. I'm going to try to do uh, the business up front the way that shows do it in, uh, in the professional way. Today on the show, how about a little of that? Today on the show, I talk to, huh? I, even with a cold, I got to lock into broadcast voice. So today on the show, I'm going to be talking to uh, Jimmy O. Yang. O. Yang. You might know him from Silicon Valley or his new movie, Crazy Rich Asians, which is uh, out this Wednesday, August 15th. So look forward to that a little later in the show. Jimmy O. Yang is going to be here. I uh, do still have the cold. And uh, yes, uh, Jimmy O. Yang is going to be here. He's, he was here, and I'm going to share it with you. That's how it generally generally works here. But I'm going to try to do some other business uh, up front uh, where people do business, which is kind of interesting. Just to, Uh-oh. Did it fall out of my pocket? Did I just drop my new sobriety chip? My new brass metal? I don't know uh, what kind of metal it is, but my new 19-year chip? Did I just drop it on the floor? I did. Hold on a second. Oh, did I mention... I had 19 years sober the other day. Did I mention? I didn't talk to you about it on Thursday, which was actually the day that it happened because I recorded Wednesday, and who knows what could happen in 24 hours. You don't want to jinx it. I could have just lost my mind, had some sort of stroke or aneurysm, and decided that uh, the last 19 years didn't even exist, and I was just having a weird dream, and it was time to go get some blow. So I didn't tell you about it, but hold on. Let me let me pick up my 19-year sobriety chip. Oh, yeah. Sarah the Painter gave this to me. I don't get them at meetings anymore. Not all the meetings have the fancy chips. What was I in the middle of before I interrupted with, uh, with this sort of self-congratulatory, somewhat uh, prideful, uh, you know, off-the-cuff uh, announcement of my 19 years sober? I'll talk to you about it in a minute, but uh, I did want to uh, to give everyone a heads up about some dates coming up. First of all, the general ticketing for the Beacon Theater show in New York City, November 10th at 7.30 p.m., and tickets go on sale for the general public today, Monday, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The little uh, little secret code pre-sale thing is over. And I, you know, I sold upwards of a thousand tickets, so uh, I don't know where it's at now. But I would get these tickets if you want to see me in New York City at the big old Beacon Theater. Okay, there's that. On other fronts, I have other dates coming up at the Comedy Addict, August 30th through September 1st. I'll be at Acme, uh, but I believe that is sold out in Minneapolis, September 6th through uh, September 8th, and I'll be at the Comedy Works in Denver, September 21st and 22nd, and I got a show at uh, Stand Up Live, October 13th. I think I'm throwing one in Largo, at Largo, in there somewhere before I do the Beacon, but uh, those are the ones that are on the books, and you can uh, get tickets for those at wtfpod.com slash tour. Those are where the links are, and the uh, New York Comedy Festival link will be there as well. You know, it's, it's a strange thing as you go on in this thing, this sobriety thing. A, a lot of people are congratulating me and, and saying uh, good job and hard, now it's hard work. It, the weird thing is, if you get sober, and I, you know, and I, I have been speaking to people that are struggling lately because they are, and I hear from them. Uh, and no one except for maybe one or two assholes you know, tells me to you know, quit talking to people directly. But I don't even need to address them, as I just did. 
but uh, but because this is my my sobriety uh, anniversary month, it's important. And and 19 years seems like a, a a lot of time, and it is. And it seems like uh, something that is seemingly impossible to those people who are either trying to stop drinking or can't get any time together. I'm not saying that it's not hard work, but when, when somebody says, wow, what an amazing achievement, is what's supposed to happen when you get sober, if you, if you go into recovery and you are uh, uh, you know, basically diligent about doing some of the work, is that you won't think about booze and drugs all the time. I mean, that is supposed to happen. The obsession will be lifted. It says it in the literature. It seems like a, 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 a dream, a fantasy, something that, uh, that, uh, that could never happen. But this is the, the, the beautiful gift of it. Even if you do the basic work is that I don't know when it will be lifted for you, but you won't think about it anymore. It's not going to be at the forefront of your brain. If you put being sober and your sobriety at the forefront of your brain, eventually you won't think about it anymore. I work in nightclubs. I'm, I'm around booze all the time. I do not think about it. And I haven't thought about it in probably 15 years. The idea of like, oh, fuck, fuck. I got a damn it. I fucking need a, I need a drink. I got to get out of here. I can't even look at this stuff. I can't be around this. Just the smell of it. What do you got there? Is that a line? Oh my God. Fuck. Fuck. How much blood do you have? Like how much? Holy shit. Is that a whole eight ball? God damn it. I got to go. I got to get out of here. That struggle goes away. And uh, that that I can guarantee you. So as much as I appreciate the congratulations, it is still one day at a time. It is it was harder work than it is now. And I'm grateful for that. But but I will tell you this, that if you do some of the work, you won't think about it all the fucking time. You might think about something else. But as long as it's not ruining your life or killing you, it's all right. You can get a little obsessed with things. Lock in. I get obsessed with shit all the time. I lock in what I get obsessed with. uh just recently. Oh, yeah, the, the shoe shining business. I didn't start a business, but I kind of, you know, I do that. Like, uh, you know, it's, that's, I, I, I act out in fits and starts compulsively, and it's how I get things done. I, I can only hope for those things to happen. I think there's a more laid back way to get things done, a more sort of efficient, maybe not efficient, but uh, kind of like a more disciplined or, or structured way to get things done. But for me, I get things done in a flurry just a fucking chaotic flurry of doing it and then I sit down and I'm like holy fuck that wasn't so hard why did I dread that for the last year why didn't I just do that it took an hour and I've been like putting this off it's just a flurry a compulsive flurry of chaos and closure is how I get things done and then there's you feel good after that you get the buzz you know if you wait it out you procrastinate long enough and just do things in a chaotic flurry of activity yeah there there's a buzz involved and when you are a recovering addict or an active addict 90 percent of what you do you know kind of try to identify the buzz you're going after you know <laughs> so uh there are some new t-shirts if you haven't checked out our new uh, wtf shirts go to podswag.com slash wtf or the merch section of wtfpod.com so, like, look, it'd been a long time since we had the WTF logo on a shirt. It's this weird logo, and we never changed it. If you go to iTunes or you look around, the WTF logo, which is about two-thirds of my face, it was taken from a, a painting by this kid, Nathan Smith, uh, who, paint, who was living up in Seattle at the time, and he gave me the painting. 
And I used it for the cover of uh, one of the records, I think Final Engagement, maybe. And um, and then we just oh, just locked in, but there was never a whole face. It's just this weird thing that because and he designed the avatar too because of the color turquoise and because of uh, Jimmy Wirt's uh, lettering, which we put on there, and because of Nathan Smith's uh, art. We we think it like it really popped. It was uh, we we kind of like thought it was one of the main drivers of the early success of this show. Was that fucking weirdo logo of this painting of me? It's an odd logo, so we dug it back out, and we put it on a shirt, and we kind of jammed that original logo into something new and trippy, and uh, it's sort of like code. You know, if, if you know what it is, you know what it is. So those are available. My cat, LaFonda, uh, started peeing blood again, and uh, she's 14 years old. And uh, I think they just turned 14. She's a you know, pretty tense cat, and, you know, you get scared. You get sc- I just, like, man, I can't take it. But again, it's interesting how, I don't know, you, you, you do what you have to do in the moment you have to do it if you're that kind of person. And, you know, as soon as I saw her, you, you know, you know, having trouble peeing and peeing a little blood, I knew from the last time it was probably a urinary tract infection or a bladder infection. So this means I got to get that monster into a fucking box. I got bloodied. I got ripped up. My hand was a mess. She bit me like I was a fucking stranger. And hurt in that weird way that when cats bite on purpose, it hurts in a very unique way, almost like there's a venom to their teeth. And I get into the vet, and this cat, as some of you know who have been with me for a while, this cat is just a knot of nerves, a little feline fist of defensive fury, a scary little fucking animal. And, and, and it scared she, she, La Fonda, has scared most vets. I get her in there, and you know, I'm dealing with this woman who's a, a, a new vet. She's very, she's great, very nice. And I just said, look, you know, I think it's the same thing she had like six months ago. And I said, I, you can't examine her. She doesn't need to be have x-rayed. She doesn't need to be probed. You don't need to do a urinalysis. Don't take blood. Don't do all this sort of like, you know, like uh, add-ons. Let's just get her shot up with some of that stuff. Just shoot her up with some of that Covenia. And let's see if it takes. And then you just sort of wait. You don't know if these old cats are going to die on you or what. And she's a tough little cat. She's throwing up and shit. So I take her home and then it happens again. It's pee blood all over the beds, both beds. It's almost like she did it on purpose. And then she's, she's bouncing back again. She's bouncing back. I got a cold and she got a urinary infection the same day. I don't know if it's stress. I think this Buster Kitten is beating up on these old guys. So we had to cut his nails. It's been a lot of cat drama, but... Everybody's okay. All right. All right. You just, and look, the, I know there are bigger problems. You know, she could be a person, but she's not. She's a cat and it seems like she's going to be okay. There was a car out in front of my house for like a week and a half that was wrecked and both airbags were shot and the windshield was, was uh, shattered right where heads go. Just out there. I don't know what was going on with it. I don't know what story. What's the story behind it? You know, it's just like, it's weird. It's eerie. Like, what is that? Who dumped that there? What's the backstory? Was it stolen? There was dealer plates on the fucking car. So I called the number on the plates. It was like a small used car dealer. I told him maybe one of his cars got stolen, joy ridden, destroyed and left. And he said, nope, I sold that car, but I'll try to find those people and ask what's up or find, you know, I'm like, oh, look, I don't, I don't, I don't want nothing to do with that, but you know, they're, they're going to come pick it up. So then yesterday when, uh, 
my buddy Matt Sweeney would drop by because I was talking to um, Kurt Vile in here and they know each other and Sweeney was in town, but the cops were out front. He's like, what's going on, man? The cops are out in front of your house. I'm like, it's not me, dude. That Those days are behind me. I, it's not me. And I asked the cop, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, no, nothing. I'm like, what's going on with this car? Eh, just taking it away. I'm like, "Is uh, what happened? I can't really tell you, but there's a story. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a story. Yeah, where's that story? I'd like to hear that story about the car that was left destroyed in my front yard. Anyway, I was very happy to, uh, to meet and talk to Jimmy O. Yang. Uh, he's got a book out. The book is called How to American. Funny. Got a little forward by Mike Judge in there. An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. And uh, the new movie, Crazy Rich Asians, opens on Wednesday, August 15th. And of course, you can see his work on Silicon Valley. But uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. This is me and Jimmy O. Yang. So we're talking about the Ice House. So like, where, when did you start doing comedy? When I was 21, so I'm 31 now. This was 10 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, so the first few years, I hit it super hard. You know, all the mics, oh, yeah. every show I can do, bringers. You know, just... just. Where were you living? I started... Okay, first... I, I started first in the Ha Ha Comedy Club during the summer oh, from in college. Oh, Valley. Break. Or yeah. in New York. New no, no, no. Ha-ha, in here, the Valley. Here, here, yeah, yeah. in North Hollywood. And I had to pay $5 for five minutes of stage time yeah and it was miserable but yeah. I, I had nothing else going on that was still a better alternative yeah. than whatever I had in my life five bucks five bucks and um, after that I went back to school in San Diego and it's weird though it's not a bad room is it it's not it's fun yeah I mean it's like it's tight small right yeah that, is, was, it, was it the dark one or the newer one I know there was the haha club like you walk in there's a little bar there and then there's like it's so like 30 seats. It's barely a room, right? Or is it, it the dark, it's a, it's weird one? It's slightly bigger uh, with a fake brick wall in North Hollywood on Lancashire. Okay, yeah, They yeah, had yeah. since moved. Okay, okay, but yeah. But it's not a bad room, and it's a good mix of like, there's white people, black people, Latinos, a lot of Armenians, because the owners were Armenian, so it skews a little more urban, yeah, which yeah. has always been my style uh-huh. more. And then I went back to San Diego, and um, I really developed in San Diego. I couldn't imagine developing in L.A. Yeah, well, there's so many people here. It's a, it's a yeah. very easy to get lost. You don't have much room for yourself. There's no stage time. Like, right. The only real shows were like bringer shows when you right. first start. Yeah. And how do you develop in an open mic when nobody cares, you know? Yeah, when it's all comics just waiting to get on and their yeah. friends waiting to watch them. It's hard. So you're in San Diego going to college, though, right? Yeah, I was finishing college uh, on my economics degree. Oh, yeah. And uh, I hated every bit of that degree. And well, I hated every bit of college, really. Well, I, let's, I mean, I guess we should talk about how you got here because, I mean, mm. like the book, I was going through it. I didn't have time to read the whole thing. How to American. Yeah. Uh, is It's funny, but it's uh, it, in, inside all the humorous stories. I mean, it's like a real kind of journey and struggle mm-hmm. to sort of adapt. Right. I can't, like, I can't, I don't, I have no sense of... Of what that would be like. I mean, I get uncomfortable if I go to another country where English isn't the uh, primary language. I, in in a day, I'm sort of like, oh god, this is. I, I can't. How am I gonna right. go to the bathroom? You know, what am I gonna? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, that was my life when I was 13. It's but just, do you remember Hong Kong though? Like from when you were a kid? It's interesting. I think there's a switch because the language changed. Because yeah. in Hong Kong, I never really spoke English. Yeah. And then when I came here, I spoke English. So. 
there's a part of my brain that the memory comes out when I start speaking Cantonese. When I do go back to Hong Kong, the memories come back. But in, but in general, they're not there. In general, like from one to thirteen, I don't really remember anything. But like, if I asked you about it, you could remember things. If you asked me in Cantonese, I would <laughs> I would have remembered it a little better. But um, I vaguely remember stuff, but yeah. not as much as I should. How many siblings do you have? I have one older brother. He's uh, he's five years older than me. And so your family, well, you, you, they were they were fine. They didn't have to run away from Hong Kong. What what was the no. story? So well, my parents grew up in Shanghai during the Communist Revolution, where they got fucked over. Really, you know? like people were really kicking down doors taking whatever shit they wanted and they threw both my grandparents in jail for like I don't really? know talking bad about the government and stuff for like the, that for the original Mao trip people don't know this yeah. like people have fucking Mao posters in their house yeah that's like having a Hitler poster in to, your house to a Chinese it, person it, seriously like to well there's some Chinese people that's pro-communist I'm sure, sure right right but to the people that the experienced people that the purge fucked with yeah. like it was literally the purge like yeah. from the stories that my dad was telling me he wanted to go to college but he was just sitting at home for 10 years because he couldn't go anywhere yeah and then they'll assign you to your jobs it's real communism in a way like yeah. my uncle got assigned to a field somewhere in a farm and he almost fucking died from like dysentery and what was his what was his practice like what was he uh, trained to do what did he do before that do you know like, you just graduate he... high school you weren't trained to do anything oh, oh, so, just... oh i see and one of my other uncle they say he got lucky he got sent to the uh the uh grocery market yeah and he was just like selling fish and like produce and that was like a good chill gig yeah you know? so oh yeah because you're not out there at, you know all day long in the sun you know, yeah getting beat up exactly so everyone like when what'd your dad end up doing i think he wanted to join the air force but he couldn't because he was flat-footed uh-huh so he's he's always had a grudge against that um <laughs> he i don't i i think he just ended up like studying english like, uh-huh. on his own i think he got out of some stuff i'm not really sure maybe he never really talked about it my mom got lucky she worked at a candy store uh-huh which is like a dream job. Yeah. But then eventually my dad got the golden ticket to go to Hong Kong uh, because I had a rich uncle that was already established in Hong Kong. Right, and this is a British Hong- colony at the yep. time? Right. It was a British colony for 100 years. Yeah. So it was uh, westernized, it was free, it wasn't communist. So it was uh, a real ticket out. It was the real ticket out. It's like, uh, you know, I, I guess the equivalent of a uh, Mexican immigrant, you know, finally right. getting approved to right. go to America. Like, right. it's like the golden ticket right. or a Nigerian immigrant, whatever, right? Yeah. So my dad went there and uh, my mom went there with him and that's when they had me and my brother. So kind of growing up in a way, I already felt like a foreigner in Hong Kong because yeah. my family was so different than the Cantonese Hong Kong families. Oh yeah, Hong Kong people are elitist, man. Yeah, they think they're better than their mainland like counterparts. Yeah, you well, know, in some ways they are. Maybe in some way, you know, the city's cleaner. You know, <laughs> yeah. for the most part, and they, they have their own government. They can choose their own jobs. <laughs> exactly. That that's big. That's big. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then I grew up in Hong Kong and. Uh, we moved here to America when I was 13 and but, my brother was 18. But like, okay, so like when you're 11, 12, and 13, like when you're that age, I mean, like there's, you know, there's social systems in place. You're in school. They're like, so you were actually, you actually able to compare the kind of like, you know, what it's like to be a kid who's 13 in in Hong Kong and a kid who's 13 it's a very awkward time absolutely for anybody yeah so like what like what are the differences what were you doing in Hong Kong to impress people or to sort of like you know keep you know know what I mean just in school what was the dynamic like what was the hierarchy it's interesting because 
everybody in Hong Kong was Asian. Everybody in Hong Kong was Chinese. <laughs> right, right, right. So in a way, everybody was kind of on the same page. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, we all ate the same food. We all loved the same food. We all loved certain things. Like, uh, we always, after school, we go to this video game store and yeah. bought like bootleg DVDs. Yeah. You know, and, the, and, and, the play pirated American the video. Pirated, you know, version of FIFA. Yeah. Like, if you bought like the real version of FIFA, yeah. you're an idiot. Yeah. Nobody bought the, we made fun of this kid for buying the, he had a real box. Yeah. Like, with the real <laughs> nice right. FIFA. Yeah. And we just made fun of him. We're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, it's, it's $4. Yeah, like, yeah. if you bought the fake one. <laughs> Yeah. But everybody was just kind of the same page. Video game was yeah. big, you know. TV shows. Yeah. It's not like now, especially now, like there's a um, thousand TV shows out there. Everybody's watching different things. Yeah. In Hong Kong, everybody just watched this show at eight o'clock. Yeah. You know, this Cantonese drama. Everybody just watched this. <laughs> One Stephen, channel? Stephen Chow movie. Yeah. There's usually two channels. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, yeah. the J channel and uh, that's called TVB and then uh, the Asian something channel yeah. and then those two channels each have a sister channel that has English programming so uh-huh. like the Simpsons WWE things like that they would come? yeah they would come yeah I remember watching Simpsons when I was younger oh, I didn't understand a bit of it that was the first thing that was international that you that was on TV there I bet it was Simpsons and Hulk Hogan oh yeah yeah so did you watch wrestling? I did I, yeah. I watched a little bit of wrestling and um, oh and Movie wise, all the action heroes, those yeah. were big. John Claude Van Damme in Bloodsport. Yeah. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. We watch every Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I We watch like Terminator 2 every other Saturday in my You house. and your friend? Oh, your family? Not, yeah, my family. And, and, and the thing is with Hong every Kong. Every other week. <laughs> it's, the main difference I feel like is the family structure. And we never really had friends over. Yeah. Like, like kids here would yeah. have like friends over, they have sleepovers. Yeah. They go out and just go frolic in the street. It's very freeing. I right, find. you play ball in the street, hang out of the corner, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, I, I can't do that. My mother would yell at me. You yeah, know, yeah. like we just nuclear family. Four, four of us. We just did everything together. And and was that sort of also because you were different? You weren't Cantonese. No, I think it's just um, we find most of our happiness and contentment from family. You do uh, in general, or it, you? I, me, and also Asian people in general. Uh-huh. You know, so. Uh, here's a lot of finding yourself, the independence, finding yeah. your own creed, your own group of friends. Yeah. Whereas I feel like in Hong Kong and China, it's you know who you are. This is your family, and this is who you hang out with. Your cousins are your best friends. You know, you might have one or two other best friends, but usually it's all about family no outings. No kidding. Yeah. When it comes to you know um, Chinese uh, Chinese New Year, that's the biggest holiday there. Yeah. So it's two weeks. Every day you will go to somebody's house and. Uh, uh, um, you know your family, friends, your relatives, uh, and 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 beg for the uh, the red envelope as yeah. a kid. So every day envelope? you just oh the red envelope is um your older relatives would give the kids money in yeah. a red envelope, right? <laughs> and that's how you teach kids uh, financial sense. Uh-huh. And if you come from a poor family, unfortunately, your parents would probably just take those red envelopes, <laughs> right? So it's a give and take. Yeah, you, you give the doorman and your com- apartment complex, you know, a little ten dollar yeah, red sure. envelope. But it's like somebody really close. Your grandma will give you a hundred bucks, you yeah, know, yeah. two hundred bucks or whatever. So, and then you build it up. Hopefully, by the time you're eighteen. You can you know go start your own business or something. So that was that was the plan. It's that like an ongoing bar mitzvah. Oh yeah, every year. Yeah, every year. You're supposed to save it though. You're supposed to save it. Well, I mean, yeah. there's got to be some you know bad Asian kids that just go spend it on shit. I, I yeah, I guess. But <laughs> did but you that, save yours? I think I saved mine. I don't know what I did with mine. <laughs> no, I never I had see. a concept of money until I graduated college. Right. Yeah. Because I never, I was never cool. I never used it to go to movie theaters, take girls on dates, or anything like that. Yeah. Like. 
I, I just chilled at home and play football with my friends, which is just free. Yeah. So, okay, so when you're in, uh, in Hong Kong as a 12, 13-year-old, your brother's older, mm-hmm. but, you know, you're just hanging out with your mom and dad, so I guess you like them. Well, you have to, in a way. Yeah. Well, they liked me. Yeah. Right? Uh, in a way, I think Chinese parents put a lot more focus on their kids. Yeah. And also more focus on keeping the family together. Yeah. I've always said that if my parents were white, yeah. they would have gotten divorced a long fucking time ago. Right. Like, they, I don't think they like each other. No? There was never love involved or anything like and that. Why are they married? <laughs> set up? I asked, my, I asked my dad, I'm like, after 35 years, do yeah. you love mom? He's like, love? Are you serious? Your mom married me be- to escape communism. <laughs> it's, it's true. And um, I look, it's a companionship. Yeah, sure. I'm glad they still live together. They yeah. have a dog now, so I don't have to worry yeah, about right. them. Right. Right. Like, right. I'll feel really bad if my dad lived by himself. Yeah, which right. Which for a while did happen because my mom didn't move back to Shanghai for 10 years. Really? Before? Yep. Uh, when I was like 15, I think. Oh, oh. Yeah. She, oh, she went back. Yeah, and that was kind of hard. For 10 years. For 10 years. It was like a de facto like divorce in a huh. way, but they're still married. And now on she's paper. back? Now she's back. <laughs> And uh, why'd she go to Shanghai? She just was, didn't want to be here. She just wasn't anymore? happy. This is like a lot of stuff that people don't talk about, like in the immigrant story. Right? Yeah, it's it's your family kind of. Maybe you guys are together in a new country. Yeah, but everybody needs to assimilate. Right. I assimilated differently because I was thirteen. Right. I was able to become more American. Yeah. I learned how to play football. I learned about hip hop music. Yeah. So like, I try to be as American as possible, and I'm way more Americanized than even my brother who came here when he was 18 and he set in his ways. Yeah. He went to Santa Monica College, but he would always go hang out with his friends in Monterey Parks and Gabriel Valley where all the Chinese food is, Asian people is. Yeah. And he never really had that many American friends. Interesting. Because he was already set in his ways and he has like much more of an accent. Oh right? yeah, still? Absolutely. Yeah. I think your brain sets when you're like 13, 14. So luckily I came here in a good cusp. I have maybe a little bit of an accent sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my parents, uh, my dad's English is pretty good. Yeah. He's a great businessman. So he got a job at Merrill Lynch working uh-huh. as a financial advisor. He caught on pretty well. Yeah. You know? But still, even with that job, he needs to go out and find his own clients. Yeah. And who is he? Like he was working at the Beverly Hills office. Who's going to trust this foreign Chinese man that just came to this country? Yeah. You know? So, like, so you got to go find Chinese clients. Exactly. That's the hope when they hired him. Like to mm-hmm. get some rich Hong Kong people yeah, to come invest right. in Merrill Lynch. And then my mother- Did it, did it work? I, I think. I think he did <laughs> he, okay. He did all right. He had a Pontiac and then he upgraded to like a Chrysler Sebring convertible. All right. Like the poor man's midlife crisis car. <laughs> and your mom? And my mom just never got her footing in yeah, a way. Yeah. Her English wasn't that great. Yeah. She worked at telemarketing uh, for Chinese people. Uh-huh. She worked at a Chinese bank. Yeah. Whereas back in Hong Kong, she was a very fashionable lady. She was a general manager of this high fashion store. Yeah. So she just never found a fulfillment here. And even with friends, she never had that uh, friend group that she found. It's a weird, that whole status shift in terms of jobs is like, it's got to be daunting in Mm -hmm. in the sense that, because I remember when I lived in a building in Queens, the guy who owned the building was Dominican, I think, and he moved, he was a dentist. 
Yeah. And he come here and like he had money enough to invest in real estate, but he couldn't be a dentist. Exactly. Like he, like all those Russian people. Uh, I think they it's a movie trope now. Like a Russian guy mopping the floors in the university. You're right. He, he used, used to, to be a freaking engineer or something. But it's true. It, absolutely. Even if it's not a big job, just even social status or whatever, like the shift yeah. has got to be pretty monumental if you're an adult. But in a way, it speaks volume that being a janitor in America is somehow still better than being an engineer in a in a different country. I guess we'll see after this presidency if that's holding. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think the one thing he might succeed in doing is really m- making people in other countries be like, yeah, maybe it's not so bad here. Yeah, maybe I'll just be a <laughs> yeah. chemical engineer in Russia. Yeah, yeah. Why oh, not? Okay, I'll yeah. stay put. Exactly. So, but like when you, uh, did you do sports or anything before? Like, did you do, well, I, get, like, I saw a part of your book, like everyone in China plays ping pong. Plays ping pong. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. I was, uh, I was pr- competing in the youth tournaments, like under 13. That's the sport. I was on TV. That was like the you on big TV? sport. That was my first TV debut when I was like 10 years old. I was a really cute, very small kid. Yeah. And they had me like demonstrate playing some ping pong with some pros. Yeah. And I was interviewed by the news. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Getting laughs. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was getting laughs. laughs. I was like the local celebrity. People thought I was like big cheese in my school. Yeah. But I actually couldn't. My form was nice, but I yeah. actually couldn't play that well because I was just like a little tiny kid. Yeah. And then, yeah. How's your game now? I need to practice. Um, but is it like you, you've been playing all your life, so it's kind of second nature? Like you could probably beat most people, that kind of thing? Yes, but <laughs> like, say something like Drew Freelander, who's actually like, he plays and he's is great. He, is he I, actually I, I world think, champion? I think he's actually good, and <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's no way I can beat him now. I need to practice to beat him. Hey, he's your, he's your, he, that's your guy? That's your nemesis, ping pong nemesis? And we should do your... like a 30 for 30 <laughs> of me training to beat Drew Freelander. In ping pong. In ping pong. <laughs> I didn't know he was good at that. How do you know Judah? Just from comedy? Just I actually from the ping pong community. <laughs> really? <From> the, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I know he's because ping pong is so like understated here. Uh huh. It's it's like a stupid party sport. Yeah, it's like know? it's like yeah, we got the table when we were kids, but no one uses yeah. it anymore. It's, it's more like shuffleboard. Yeah, <laughs> it's an arcade game. It's not a real sport. But in Hong Kong, everybody like got mad skills, you know. And do you know are there that. parks where there are like twenty tables or places? Oh, yeah, yeah, big gyms, like, big like, gyms. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're like pool halls, but with ping pong ping pong tables. Or every uh, say swimming pool like club place would have like five six ping pong tables. Oh, yeah. in a separate area. And you just hear that clacking all the time oh yeah man and everybody got form everybody knows how to play like yeah. here you know you just like ping pong rally on you just tip the ball up and the other guy hits it back everybody got spin everybody yeah. knows how to hit it yeah you know? so it, it's 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 a it's a real thing and uh it was that and a soccer growing oh, up yeah. for me so well, i remember they tried to like i remember ping pong was kind of a thing here for a minute when oh. i was a kid you know because i remember playing with guys that were into it but it was it didn't didn't take off like soccer either. But I guess every, we're the only ones in the world that don't like ping pong and soccer. I guess I was never that good in soccer in my yeah. school. I'll always be like the backup of the backup on yeah. the team uh, in Hong Kong. But when I came here, I remember I was just like super good because nobody played soccer. <laughs> like I was scoring like f- five goals in PE class. You and know, everyone was impressed. Yeah, everyone like thought your, I was cool. That was your superpower. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you yeah, playing up. a sport that nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my life. Yeah. Being good at things that nobody cares about. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's but it's nice to be impressive, you know, to like, like especially when you come from another place. If you show up and you've got a skill, people are like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I was always, like, I'm small and I look 
like I don't look like a jock or the most athletic kid. Yeah. But I've always been fairly coordinate and like coordinated and like, you know, um athletic. So that was like how I coped with fitting in a lot. I was pretty good at sports. Yeah. Even like the first day playing football, I was fast, you know, yeah. I can jump pretty high. So that's how I got away from getting bullied and you know, trying to trying to be funny, try to talk sure. shit to people. But um yeah, it helped in the assimilation process, but um it was hard. Yeah, so when you got here when you were 13, it was like right out of the gate. You moved to where? You, L.A. You were here in L.A.? Eighth grade, L.A., um, John what, Burroughs Middle School. What part of town is that? So that was on Highland and Wilshire, pretty central L.A. Oh, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. yeah. So that was a place, you, and, and you just they threw you right in there. They threw me right in eighth grade. Yeah. The last year of middle school, meaning that everybody already knew each other oh, for like at sorry. least two, maybe eight years. Yeah, so how did it work out? They put me in ESL classes. And What's those, that, accelerated? Um, no, 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 it's the opposite. It's a... <laughs> English as second language. Okay, okay. that's ESL, uh, which is a good concept on paper, but I don't know if it actually works. Yeah, because everybody is foreign in that class, but not foreign in the same way. You got me, the Chinese kid. You got a Filipino kid, Nigerian kid, Sri Lankan kid. Yeah, like how am I supposed to learn English faster if I'm with other foreign kids? Yeah, it was. <laughs> how did it go? It was it was fine, and that was when I f- made some of my first friends. Yeah, one of my first friends was like this Nigerian guy, this yeah. Sri Lankan guy, because we're all just as lost as the other ones. Yeah, you know, it was right, like the sure. Blind leading the blind, right? And um, yeah, we just I remember just observing from an outsider point of view, like seeing like this white girl in eighth grade that was like 5'10 and looks like fucking like Molly Sims and I was like oh my god this this is America like this one day someday (laughs) someday you know maybe maybe she'll be my girl Mm-hmm. And then watching... Has that happened yet? Well, yeah, yeah. I've had sex with a couple white women. Yeah. You know? <laughs> is, that, is that your question? I don't know. <laughs> but still, there's a part of me, it's like white dudes like Asian girls is it's exotic. To yeah. me, white people are still kind of exotic. Yeah, me. sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and that was like my dream growing up. It's so ridiculous to think about it now. Yeah. It's interesting, though, the two sides of that, though. That mm-hmm. There are certain types of Americans that are obsessed with Asian women, but I, yep. I, I don't know... Right. See, that creeps me out. The, feti- the fetishizing of Asians. I mean, I've gotten laid a few times because a girl is a huge anime fan. Yeah. Or, or she she has a K-pop poster in her in her apartment. Yeah. And I know I was gonna fuck. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Like she has a proclivity for Asians. Yeah. Thank God, right? It was thank God, and hopefully it's getting better and better. You know, and because uh, it wasn't not not too many people is into Asians. Well, I mean, when you were a kid, though, I mean, back I, in the day, yeah. But yeah. I mean, in, in L.A., though, there must have been you know, other Asians at school, right? Yeah, a lot of Koreans. Ah, and you know, the most painful part. I wrote about this a little bit in my book. The most painful part was. Not that the black kids, white kids, Latino kids didn't accept me, because I expected that. I was the foreign guy coming from Hong Kong, whatever. The painful part was the other Asian kids wanted nothing to do with me. Yeah. Because they were the ABCs, like Asian-born Chinese or Asian-born Koreans. Yeah. And they, in their mind, they're American, which is true. They are American. Yeah. Right? So it's unfair to say that they're the foreigner. But I was the foreign kid. Right. And they don't want to associate themselves with me. Because they don't want to be thought of as the foreign kid, and that was the most painful part. I think that it, I think if if I understand correctly, that happens with all ethnicities. Mm-hmm. You know, like with Mexicans. Yeah. You know, and even with I think in the African American community, the difference between like a ghetto 
black person right. and somebody who's middle class. I, like there's always that distancing from the more primitive or the more ethnic. Yes, absolutely. Because you don't want to be grouped in. And also the class issues too. But yeah, yeah it's a, it, but so that happens. That must be painful to yeah. be like, you know, alienated from your own people. Yeah, it's, it's because you're uh, too Chinese. Yeah, and like and like also the Korean kids. Uh, there wasn't a lot of Chinese kids. The yeah. Korean kids would call me like, "Hey, China boy," or like "Chinese boy," or yeah, whatever yeah. like that. Yeah, and uh, they would say it maybe in a friendly way, but I never really made a true friend in middle school. The first year, yeah. I was just getting my footing. That was like my basic training. Just you and the Nigerian and the yeah, we'll, we'll hang out, have some lunch. Yeah, you know. <laughs> But <laughs> basically, that was like it's so it's so classic though, just that sort of alienation. You know, it's a, you know, it's like that scene in Animal House at the frat house where the three foreign guys are like, "This is, did you meet Raj?" And you know, yeah. Yeah. but that's like how it happens. That's how yeah. these these horrible clicky uh, hierarchies work when you're a kid. It's, I mean, w- when you're that age, it's clicky anyway. Yeah, I know. But I was never able to kind of find my click. Because in high school, it's all about clicks. Yeah. You got skaters, you know, yeah. stoners, uh, jocks, whatever. Even you have the Mexicans hanging yeah. out, the black people hanging out. You got clicks, whatever you based it on. Sure. It's that ethnicity, interest, yeah. or whatever, emo kids, or whatever. So, so where do you find your, where do you find sort of some footing? What do you start doing? I joined the Chinese culture club. There was a Chinese art teacher in high school. Mm. So there was three Chinese kids, and we just chill there at lunch. That was like my safe refuge. So <laughs> yeah. I wasn't eating my sticky rice by the lockers by myself. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I had somewhere to hang out with. But I always felt unsatisfied doing that because yeah. I came all the way to this country not to just hermit in the Chinese pocket. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people that do that. You yeah. Know? If you go to like- Your little, brother. Yeah, my brother. You go yeah. to Little Armenia, you go to Monterey Park, people only stay in that community. But I wanted to be American. I want to understand and be excited about the Super Bowl. Yeah. I, wa- I wanted that white girl. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I wanted to understand American humor. Yeah. You know? Um, so- I wanted to, as painful as it was, I needed to kind of break out of that yeah. kind of yeah. um, bubble. Yeah. So I just went out and I started like trying to make some random friends. And one of my first friend um, friends I met, I guess, in America and in high school yeah. is still my best friend today. Yeah. Persian guy uh, named Jeremy. And uh, he was kind of like a jock. He's like really athletic. Yeah. He was a football player. But we just met in art class. He was kind of nerdy. He plays like, you know, uh, video games. And he was like one of the only first people that didn't judge me as yeah. the foreign Chinese guy. Yeah. We just kind of like joked like as if it was an old friend from Hong Kong. Right. And I started hanging out with him, his cousins. And then I got a bunch of Persian friends. Yeah. And then they got their own group of friends that uh, we had a table um, upstairs uh, in the patio of um, uh, uh, the cafeteria. Uh-huh. And it was Jeremy, his cousin Phil, two Persian guys, Persian Jews. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, my buddy Zaki, who's uh, Bengali. Uh, this kid Derek, who was Chinese. Bo Kim, who was a Korean immigrant. And then this, uh, uh, my, uh, my buddy Chris, who was like um, this really hip hop, you know, uh, what back in the day they would call Wigger kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. uh, he's like half white and half Native American. So yeah. we, none of us really fit into any group. Yeah. But that was like the group of misfit that we found each other and oh, yeah. that became my best friends in high school and still some of my best friends now. How did you, you know, since you were so conscious of wanting to be an uh, American, mm-hmm. you know, what did you sort of, you know, consciously set out to do? Like, what, what did you decide? I you know? think I saw America since from a, such an outsider view. Mm-hmm. 
what's presented to me on screen, on TV, and yeah. media, right. that was what I thought America was. Right. Big football players. Yeah. BET Rap City. Yeah. Hip hop music. You videos. saw BET Rap yeah. City. Oh, when you were a kid, that not was, in China. Oh no, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, here. Uh, here. Yeah, you know, when I got here. So I was just trying to fit in by being as American as possible. So I started emulating a lot of that. Football, rap. I, I started playing football, <laughs> yeah. right? And uh, I, I started making hip hop music. Yeah, you know, and um, BET was like yeah. amazing. Yeah. I never seen anything like that. Yeah. You know, the only black people I really seen was. In, back in Hong Kong was like the NBA or right. you know Wesley Stipes maybe yeah but like BET <laughs> was like a real insider look of what real American urban culture was like uh-huh. and it was mind blowing yeah because everything was in a way so flamboyant and flashy what kid didn't want to live like Ludacris or like Jay-Z Big Pimpin? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like just a hundred women on a yacht with yeah. champagne pouring on their face like oh I want to do that <laughs> You yeah, know? yeah. So watching that, I was like, "Holy shit, this is what I want to do." Yeah, you know, I want to get there. I want to get. That was yeah. my American dream. Each music video on BET was the epitome <laughs> of three minutes of an American dream. Right. Right. Yeah. So I wanted to do that, and then I started just like making hip hop music. Yeah. I I couldn't rap, but you were be- you were serious about. it. I was making beats. You know, yeah. I was serious about it because that was kind of what made me just a little cool, even yeah. though I was weird as shit. Yeah. And I was foreign. It's like, okay, this kid made beats. Like, yeah. he's cool. And or in my mind, I thought I was cool by and, doing it. And that. you were good at it? I was good at it. I got to a point where I actually sold some beats. Uh-huh. I started a rap group. Um, it was me, uh, my black friend Julian, and then my other friend Yuji, who was half black and half Japanese. Uh-huh. So we had one and a half Asian dudes and one and a half black dudes, and we called ourselves the Yellow Panthers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the Yellow Panthers never sold any records, yeah. but I would make beats for the Yellow Panthers. Yeah. I didn't really rap on it, but I'll make beats. And my beats became pretty good, and I started selling it online. Ah. And I made a couple hundred bucks, and one of the first people that paid me for a beat was this dude named uh, LaRon James. Uh-huh. LaRon Le- James was a stage name uh, for porn. Oh, okay. He owned a website. It's this <laughs> black dude uh, with like a 12-inch penis. Yeah, sure. And he owned a website. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah uh, He owned a website. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's been rumored. Yeah. Um, he owned a website called fudgestick.com <laughs> where LaRon was a performer and he would uh, have sex with MILFs, yeah. quote unquote. Uh-huh. And uh, he called me out of blue one day because I will post my beats online. He was like, um, hey, uh, is this Doc West? I was like, yeah, because that was my producer name. I combined <laughs> Dr. Dre and Kanye West. My name was Doc West. And uh, it was so fucking hacky now to think about it. Yeah. Um, and he was like, are you Christian? I was like, no. What? He was like, yeah, because a lot of conservative people doesn't like what I do. I was like, well, what do you do? You sell drugs or something? I'll sell beats to whoever. He was yeah. like, no, I actually want to use one of your beats for my porno trailer. I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So I sold him one of my beats. And the yeah. next week it ended up on like on like a porno trailer where literally this lady was like just like sucking him off and then like he's like it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and but that was I still have that video. Yeah, of course. It's yeah. a big break. <laughs> that was my big break. Exactly. And you used to do live shows too? Uh no, I never really did live shows. I just As I was just sitting my parents you know, house and in my room, just make beats eight hours a day. Was that your first exposure to uh, to the comedy as well on BET? Like comic you, View. You were watching a lot of Comic View? That was my, there was really no stand-up in Hong Kong. <clears throat> stand-up comedy wasn't really a thing. Like, 
there wasn't like right. a Comedy Central Presents or BET Comedy View, nothing like that. Uh, traditionally in China, I think there's like a two man act. It's more like a sketch. Yeah, Lauren yeah. Hardy, vaudeville, kind of going back sure, and sure. forth. I did. I did stand up in Hong Kong once. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a, some guy used to book like Hong Kong and Shanghai and, uh-huh. and, and Beijing. So I did stand up in Beijing, and then uh, uh, that was weird, you know, mostly for expat, expats. Yes. Yeah. And then in Hong Kong, you know, I did it too. But the place was the place where they did the show wasn't 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 quite built yet. But it was I, it was I liked being there. It was very mm-hmm. I, I, Beijing was just mind blowing to me. It's like you can't see. Because the air stinks. Oh, yeah. But I've never seen so many uh, types of bicycles. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like so, many, so many things that aren't cars with wheels yes. in my life. A lot of two-wheelers yeah, in all no, those Asian countries. It's crazy. And then there's there's markets where you're like, is, the, is this for pets or for eating? Right. Everything's live. We it, value freshness. Yeah. You see like a fresh toe jumping around, chickens running around. Yeah. Like that's our free range chicken. We let you see it's free range. Yeah. yeah look, it's there. Go yeah, get it. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean the cultural difference is uh I remember in America when I first came here, what people are used to is going to Ralph's mm. or going to Costco once a week, maybe once a month, stocking up your fridge and that's what you ate for the whole week, whole yeah, month. Yeah. In Hong Kong and China, you go to the market fresh every day and you prepare a four course meal every day for your family. Yeah. That was the difference. Yeah, it's, I think it's better. Oh, of course. Yeah. And just the fact that, you know, you're actually making something every day and you're seeing where the food comes from, like seeing them slaughtering yeah. the chicken or like, you know. Yeah. You know, someone's got to be in charge of that shit because it's a job. Yeah. I can't imagine that to make a four course dinner every day and have snacks and shit. Absolutely. But you have rice in the rice cooker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every day. That was my responsibility. Yeah. So me and my brother was... uh responsible for cooking the rice and yeah. uh, laying the table setting uh-huh. and if we fuck the rice up my dad would be so mad because yeah. that will fuck the whole meal up right because it's either we put too much water it becomes soggy yeah or too little water then it's, it's not cooked and yeah. you can't really eat it yeah because my dad would work you know from like eight to five and then go to the market come home and cook like a four course meal dude. yeah and uh he would kind of wouldn't let my mom cook because he didn't think she was that good of a cook oh right so he kind of enjoyed cooking but he would never let people know that like he'll probably be mad at me if he listens to this podcast. Yeah. he's like you can't tell people i, I love to because to him it's very emasculating yeah he used to pull me aside while he's cooking he's like jimmy don't be doing what the fuck i do yeah. okay cooking is supposed to be a woman's job okay you don't do that when you grow up let your wife do that yeah and then he'll go back to cooking you know <laughs> it's a secret yeah it's a bit of misogyny and yeah, irony yeah he's he's cooks he cooks on the down low yeah he cooks on the down low. he's not out of closet when he's cooking i guess i'm outing him now but he's a great cook you yeah. know yeah are you good oh I can cook, but I just don't. I live yeah. by myself. So if right. I cook like a thing of pasta, I have to eat it eight meals in a row. Yeah, but I think it's interesting. I think it's true about the, you know, about like just that, the, the freshness of it. Mm-hmm. But where did you start getting the, the, into the comedy bug? It was Comic View. I remember it was Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Jay Anthony Brown, Bruce Bruce, all those hosts. Bruce, and then Bruce. seeing all these five minute sets, 10 minute sets, I didn't understand what they were talking about yeah not just the subject matter but the way they talk i could not understand anything <laughs> that was that was to me like the highest level of english i felt like if i could understand that Be i could understand comic anything. view yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean if you, look if you understand comic view you understand america you <laughs> yes. have mastered the english language right at that point yeah and and it was just so intriguing to me because they were because ta- comedy is so cultural especially yeah. that kind of comedy yeah because it was a lot of it was talking about white people do this black people do that yeah one comic was talking about because you know how all black people got bad transmissions i was yeah. like they do <laughs> I, didn't, 
<laughs> I didn't know that. So you were learning the stereotype lesson. I was learning the stereotype, and I was learning about America, how one American feels about, thinks about the other uh-huh. Americans. And it was not just like a funny comedy thing. It was like a cultural lesson to me, and it was so intriguing. Do you think the, like, because I guess the, the idea is like, well, obviously not all black people have bad transmissions. Right. But, but, <laughs> of course. You yeah. know, but like, I did you have to actually put that stuff into some sort of context? Like you would hear it, and then you just walk through the world assuming like, well, there's a black person. It's got to have a bad transmission. Or were you able to realize like, well, they're, they're stereotyping to make a point and make it funny? I, I think I understand it's for the sake of comedy. Yeah. But at the same time, I was just so new and foreign. Yeah. That basic information yeah. helped me, you know, at least get a footing yeah. on what any of this means. Yeah. You know, so it's like painting the broad strokes from my mind first. Yeah, right. And then when you actually meet black people in real life, when I go hang out with my black friend at Julian's house yeah. and his mom is made a certain type of food, how they behaved and stuff like that, that was my detailed look into American families. When right. I go to my Persian's friend's house and they're making a certain meal and they live a certain way, their furniture's a certain way. Sure. That's when I got the more detailed yeah. lines yeah. and uh, really filled out the painting. So, so okay, so you... you uh, you got the beats going through high school. Mm-hmm. Seems like there's a real uh, uh, a kind of a premium put on education and Absolutely. success. Like yeah. that, like an uh, inordinate amount of pressure. Yeah, it's, it's all about following this path. Education leads to success. And there's certain jobs that are considered legit. And then here in America, it's pursuing your dreams. That right. was one of the hard things too, like uh, you know, reconciling the two mindsets. So I grew up a certain way. There's an expectation from my parents to, you know, do the traditional jobs. Right. You know, uh, in you know, um, what they want g- you to be. A general sense, you know, obviously a doctor, lawyer, sure. accountant, finance, but just anything that's legit, that's considered a job. And security. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, there's a premium to that. Because yeah. my dad wished he would have went to college. He could have went to college right. during the communist revolution and had a regular job. But yeah. he wasn't. He didn't have but that. But he'd have to be a communist. Yeah. So he, <laughs> yeah. Right. So so he wanted me to do that. Yeah. You know, they wanted the best for their kids. So, um, is that one of the reasons they left? Absolutely. Yeah. For opportunity. Because yeah. in Hong Kong, yeah, you can go to university. But if you go to you graduate from Hong Kong University versus a kid that came back with a degree from UCLA, yeah, they will hire a kid from UCLA. Oh. And also, it's just Hong Kong, the opportunities are slightly limited. Uh-huh. You know, it's finance yeah. and mostly finance and real estate. Yeah. Other than that, it's not like it's not like I can just go pursue the arts in yeah. Hong Kong. My dad always told me it's like, and he's not wrong because that's how he grew up. It's yeah. like, oh, you want to be an artist? That's how you become homeless. Right. Like artistry and, and homelessness is synonymous, yeah. you know, yeah. to him and so to a lot, a lot of old school people. Sure, a lot of brilliant artists on the street. Absolutely. Yeah, because they didn't take care of themselves. Yeah, because yeah. the value is obedience, right. following the path and doing what your family But does. it's interesting, though, because like, you know, from even early on, whether you knew it or not, whether it was just self-expression, I mean, that's the other thing about being in L.A. and being in America is that like, you know, you can make money. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. as an artist, like, you know, they just don't, they, they I guess it, it happens in all cultures around entertainment, though. They just think it's a long shot and it might be, but you can point to people, you know, Jay-Z yeah. made some money. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's possible, but it's like they seem to think that there's a guarantee if you do this other path. Absolutely. Yeah. But in a way, there isn't. My, my no. buddy's in medical school. He couldn't get placed in residency. 25% of people can't get placed. It's not that safe now because there's so many fucking doctors out there. Yeah. It's like being, okay, you might not make it as an actor. Yeah. Like that, 
okay, that of course comes down to talent yeah. and a bit of luck also. Yeah, of right. course, you drive and everything, but there's so many things you could do in entertainment if you of just course. work hard enough. Of, yeah, if if it's you, a real job. Yeah, I mean it, it is, and in the smarter people, like I, I I've said this before, the um, the smarter people. Like that I know who were comics mm-hmm. when we all started out just stand-ups. The ones that were smart were the ones that realized, like, I'm never going to be one of the big guys. Right. But I'm good at this writing or the joke writing and I'm good at that, exactly. you know. And they get, they figure out how to make, you know, real life out of it as opposed to putting it all in one barrel and, you know, w- waiting for to be the biggest stand-up in the world. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I don't blame those people they are actually smart and more logical than me. That's right. No, I, 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 I'm saying I'm this the is same not way. a career. No, I'll, I'll, know? I'll tell people that, like, you know, like if they're like, well, what should I do as a young stand-up? I'm like, learn how to work with other people. Yeah. Learn, how to, learn how to write. Yeah. Figure out how to act. Do something. Don't just, because just when I started, I'm like, I'm going to be a comic. That's all that's important. Right. And, like, and then you're stuck. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's so many people. Even if you become a successful booker and you make a thousand dollars booking shows or something, yeah. uh, a lot of failed comics end up running comedy clubs. That's a job. Yeah, it's that's a, a job. job you still love, and yeah. it's great. It's annoying when they give themselves the best spot, but you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't have to name any names. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you just, just got to ask them for a little more money. Those guys, yeah, they, you know, they take it for granted. That that's the racket of that the produce show. Oh yeah, they're sort of like, dude, we just because they think like you know like you just want stage time. Right, and I'm like, who's making all the money from selling this room out? Yeah. Oh, I'm a professional comedian. You're gonna have to give me more than the twenty five dollars. It, it's if there's one day ever like stand up comedians could unionize. Uh, they've tried. That would be the day. Like they've tried. It's, they had. They have. Oh yeah. Over the years, they, well, there was a yeah. There was. Uh, I don't remember when it was, but they tried to do a a, a comedians union within AFTRA at one point. Oh wow. Yeah. There there have been attempts. What is it. the bar though? Because there's no barrier of entry. Like SAG, you got to get three vouchers. You got to get Taft Hartley yeah, or whatever. Right. What is it? You got to do three open mics. Yeah, no, you got to get past at the store. It's good. Well, I think you'd have to. Uh, d- right. The, the, no, it would have. Like, to, who are the union comics and the non-union? Comics? It ha- would have to be de- dependent on, I would think, on some sort of income or pay uh-huh, or uh-huh. buy-in. You know, because now everyone just says they're a comic. Because right, like when you were coming up, there's these mics all over. When I was younger, there were no mics. You had to go to the fucking club on their night. They had uh-huh. an open mic night. Right, but now. Now there's like fucking mics everywhere. Everywhere. So, and then anybody who does two mics a week can be like, yeah, I'm doing stand-up now. Are you though? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not as annoyed about it as I used to be because like, who gives a fuck? Sure, say you're a stand-up as long as you want. Yeah, it does, it. I, it's not too precious anymore. It's like- Yeah, it, I bet, you know, it. it used to bother my, ruffle my, you know, old veteran feathers. Like, you're not yeah, a real yeah, comic. Yeah. Are you getting paid? Are you getting paid to work? No. <laughs> can you do an hour? No. So, fucking quit calling yourself a comic. Now I'm like, do what you want, man. Good yeah. luck. Good luck with everything yeah yeah so so you go to school for what economics you said economics man but you did, you had no desire no, no compulsion desire. i hated you, college in general but were you, st- were you still when you go to college were you still into the music was that still your thing i was or? still doing my thing that was the only thing that was keeping me sane yeah uh i would just lock myself in the room not even go to class and make beats yeah and i'll start selling some beats and stuff like that but i just couldn't i would love to have been a producer but at the same time that's also being locked in a studio in a way. Yeah. And I was kind of fearful of that. I just didn't know what I wanted to do like most college kids. I think college, first of all, is the biggest fucking racket. Everybody it's, graduating yeah. college with this debt. 
the, with this debt and also sort of like you, you, you kind of waste the time because yeah. there's an idea about college like I'm going to do whatever I want. There, some people actually knew. Some people's parents beat it into their brains hard enough that they yeah. knew I'm here to work to get this thing done so I can do this other thing. Yeah. But a lot of us are like, we're going to party and like think about stuff yeah. and you know experience some things. Like I often wished I could go back to college as a grown up. You know, I don't really want to, but like then at least you could take some of the shit in Absolutely. And, and process it and learn something. It's insane that we are telling kids by 18 years old, you have to choose a major, yeah. the major that technically means this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And none of it guarantees yeah. anything anymore. No, yeah. man. Yeah. So you're there. You're, I, you're miserable. I was miserable. It took me five years to get an economics degree and I just had odd jobs. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <clears throat> I had an internship at Smith Barney, you know, a pretty yeah. prestigious financial firm sure. that my dad hooked me up with. Yeah. And they offered me a job. They're like, whenever you like graduate, you know, we'd love to have you come back to work for us. Yeah. But I just remember working that internship. At first, it's kind of fun. You're meeting new people. That's like every job. You yeah. can work at McDonald's the first month. It's going to be fun. Sure. And then it just slowly deteriorates. And then I just see my life flash in front of me. Yeah. Like I'm 60 years old, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm just sitting in front of my computer doing the same old shit. And I just fucking hate myself. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like that was, that gave me a fucking panic attack. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do. I, I had three jobs uh, after I graduated. I definitely didn't go back to Smith Barney. I worked as a uh, used car salesman. You did? Yeah. I worked at um, the Comedy Palace in the evening after my used car salesman job. Comedy Palace. Yeah, this uh, Greek restaurant turned comedy club at night in, in San, San Diego. Diego? In oh, San Diego? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll do some sets there. I'll work the door and so stuff like that. So when did you just start to, what made you, when did you first go up? Like when, what was the, like how did that unfold? I think it was, it was, it was desperation. It yeah. was just, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I wasn't getting laid and I wasn't making new friends. I was stuck playing video games with the same group of friends. I love them, but it's yeah. like, I need to expand my horizon. I live my life, man. Yeah. And, um. So I tried different things. This was, I think, towards my senior year of college. Yeah. I tried uh, like jujitsu, yeah. boxing, or whatever. I'm horrible at those things. Yeah. And then I was just like, fuck <laughs> it. Like, you know, <laughs> so many times people have such a good story yeah. of how they started standing right. up. It's yeah. like, I saw Eddie Murphy raw when I was six years old yeah. uh, with my brother. <laughs> and then when my brother died with, you know, a heart disease, he told me on his deathbed, he was like, I want you to be a stand up to make us proud or some shit yeah, like that. Yeah. Live your childhood. I don't, I don't have any of that. My yeah. parents don't even know what the fuck stand up comedy is, you know? <laughs> yeah. For me, it was a complete desperation. It's for me googling local open mic is yeah. one step away from me googling how the fuck to kill, kill myself. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's the last straw, man. Like to embarrass yourself to pay five dollars for five minutes to embarrass yourself. That's you might as well just fucking kill yourself. <laughs> you weren't that. You weren't that depressed, though, were you? I was that desperate. It was. Yeah. It was depression, and it, I just felt like I hit a dead end. Yeah. I was like, I'm fucking like 21 years old. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so I hate my life. Like, <laughs> and everybody's telling you college the best four years of your life. And, like, and I'm nah. like, no, this is miserable. <laughs> so where'd you do it? Where did you write an act down, or how'd you handle so it? So it's the Haha ha Comedy Club. Oh, so it was Haha. Ha. You was came ha ha. up it here was in the summer. Oh, so you were working up here in the summer, and you're like, this is it. It was in the summer. I was like just really lost because I was about to go back to like the last semester of college. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? So this was when I tried all the things and then I went to Ha Ha Comedy Club. Um, did you write an act? I did. Uh, it was really hacky stuff. Yeah. You know, about jerking off and shit like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think one of my bits was like, my closer yeah. was uh, 
Uh, I was jerking off on my computer, but then I always have the TV on on ESPN Sports Center on repeat. Yeah. So like by accident, sometimes they show a top ten highlight. I'm jerking off, and I turn around. It's Michael Vick. So I just came in Michael Vick's yeah. face, or something like something yeah, so yeah. stupid and hacky right. that yeah. every open micro would do. Right. And then I just remember like after that, I felt good. It was just like a sense of community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't feel good about the joke. Yeah. But it was just a sense of community. Oh, because you got off and all the other miserable comics are there. We're like, hang out. Yeah. Like, I found a group of misfits, like these friends yeah, that I'm yeah. fitting in. And I remember this dude, like, he gave me a tag. Yeah. Like, he was like, yeah, you know that jerk-off joke is good. Yeah. What if you just say, like, now every time I see Michael Vick, I just come a little bit. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this guy's yeah. treating this like an art form. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. just talking about jerking off to Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember there's just sense of community because yeah, sure. for my all my adult life, or my young adult life at yeah. that point was me trying to fit in. You yeah. Know, me living like my, my MO was I was the immigrant. I didn't right. fit in and I was the outsider. But stand up, it's like this is where all the weirdos came. That's exactly right. And yeah. it didn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, yeah. fat, you know, yeah. short. Uh, whatever gender you are creepy creepy <laughs> the weirder you are the better off you are in yeah. stand up yeah and I just I felt like I really found my creed there and that that was what really spoke to me it was the high on stage that felt good yeah you know getting some attention that felt good but that wasn't it it was the camaraderie of hanging out afterwards is like oh shit yeah. I found a way out. Yeah. This is a new group of friends and these friends got other friends. Yeah. That and now we're doing can, something. Yeah, and now I can expand my horizon. I'm not just playing Madden, you know, with my high school friends. Yeah, right. You know? That's great. So I work used car salesman like nine to five, go to comedy palaces. Were you seven. good at it? I was very good. Yeah. I, I was a really good salesman. Because I look trustworthy. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not, but yeah. I look like an innocent kid that wouldn't scam you out of a car. Right. So I didn't I never learned sales techniques, but I was just honest with people. Yeah. And they trusted me. I was very good at that job. And then uh, I did the Comedy Palace. And then at night, I uh, was a DJ at a strip club. Yeah, that was always- With your beats or just- No. no. Just doing strip- But that was always like like my dream. Yeah. Growing you, up hip hop. You did it. You lived it. I you, lived it, man. So you were, you were the guy putting on, uh, uh, like, what songs? Those horrible, <laughs> like, rock songs. If you- oh, uh, Girls, Girls, Girls. Sure. There was a rule in that club uh, where every five songs, every three stripper rotation, I have to do a showcase. Yeah. And the showcase has to be a company with girls, girls, girls. Yeah. All, all the strippers will have to go on stage. Yeah. And I would force each customers to go get a lap dance. Oh, you would force them? Like, yeah, on the mic? High pressure sales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like on the mic in the back? How would you do it? Yeah. I was like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, ready for your showcase. Uh, you got the sexy Jay coming to stage. Milan, saucy. You guys had your eyes on these ladies. Don't be shy with your wallet and don't be shy, gentlemen. Two for one lap dances coming up right now. Get two lap dances with your favorite girl or... Get two girls for one lap dance. <laughs> VIP going on right now. Two for one lap dances. Don't be shy. I want everybody in the VIP. Two for one lap dances in the next 10 minutes. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> and then you put on girls, girls, girls. And, yeah, and then I would do that. I yell that over girls, girls, girls. Oh, yeah. So it was a, a, a mixture of salesmanship that I learned from the car lot. Right. And the stand-up comedy microphone skills that I learned at the comedy club. So you're in the strip club. Now, like, how was that for you? Did you... 
It was, I think, every stupid 22-year-old's dream yeah. that watched too much hip-hop videos. Yeah. It's like, dude, oh my God, I'm going to bang all these strippers. Like, this is going to be fucking awesome. This that's is gangster a, as fuck. Sure, you know? that's a real gift. Yeah. <laughs> okay. that, it, that's the funniest thing about that whole thing. It's like, hey, man, I did it. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm dating a stripper. Oh, great. I Good think day. everybody had a dream of dating a stripper, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, Shit. they're just people with problems. I actually, I never had sex with one of the strippers. No? Because I, I was scared, honestly. Yeah. I was like this kind of innocent kid going in, wanting to work at this strip club. But then I realized everybody that the owner, his name was Shooter. Yeah. And this this dude's name was Beast and like cheap. Everybody had nicknames from like prison. Yeah. Because they've been in the prison many times and then no choice but to work at a strip club. Right. They wish they can just go work at a subway. Yeah. You know, right. but they yeah. can't. Yeah. And here I am wanting to work at a strip club. And all these strippers are fucked up. <laughs> yeah. You know? It wasn't like a glamorous like cheetah strip club. So it was that. Probably. Yeah. But I mean, they're all, I mean, it's different degrees of what it is. I mean, did it diminish a little bit of your sense of the reward of uh, America? Uh, yes. It's, it made me, it's a more realistic view of what it is. Yeah. That's the first time when I realized, oh, these music videos are just music videos. <laughs> yeah. People don't actually live like this yeah. in a happy way. Yeah. I can't just go become a gangster. <laughs> I wasn't born, a, you know, yeah. in the hood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that was just all me emulating and it was kind of sobering it was like yo I gotta find myself and yeah. be real with myself I can't just emulate people and, and, and do these lives that's not me yeah how know? long did you work there I think I worked there for like a good three four months uh -huh. and it, it got too gangster like, yeah. like got it scared it was fucked up um, yeah. I thought it was still cool I remember Christmas Day I worked at the yeah. strip club. Christmas Day. Yeah. And it was so sad. We closed down early, and these two college kids were, like, yelling outside, like, cussing us out. I was like, yeah, yeah. On, on, on the internet, it says that you guys open till 2. Like, what the fuck, dude? We yeah. want to see some titties or something. Yeah. And then I just remember the bouncers went outside and started, like, beating them. Yeah. Like, just, like, fucking them up, right? Merry Christmas. And then I just I just stared into this picture. I was like, wait a minute, like. I'm I'm one of these college kids, yeah. But I'm on the other side of the fucking gangsters and shit, yeah. And and I'm like, dude, like I can't do this. You, you don't want to live in that world, yeah. And the owner actually really liked me, yeah. Um, he he was like a biker gang gangster guy. But you got f frightened for your own corruption in a way, like I, you know, where do you cross over? That and also getting sucked in too deep to the point of no return, right? Like right. this was the last. Bit where like I can make a choice. Do I get out of this or do I keep doing this? Right. The owner he he came he came to me. He was like, "Yo, I just came to some money, and uh, I want to open up a new club and want you to run it." Uh, so that shit. sounds very appealing to a twenty-two year old kid that watched too much hip hop. Yeah. But like, luckily I had a mentor, uh, my buddy Sean Kelly, who was a comic in San Diego, like a old school dude, and yeah. he's really smart, business smart. He was like, "Jimmy, this is not funny." Like, I was telling these stories to, like, my buddies at the comedy club. Like, bragging. You know how people in the bag in the comedy yeah. club are like, yo, I just banged this chick, and then I almost got beat up by a boyfriend. Like, it's funny. Yeah. But then, but then like, Sean, I, I was telling Sean about this uh, Christmas strip club story. He's yeah. like, Jimmy, this is not fucking funny, dude. You didn't get the fuck out. You're funny, dude. Like, go to, go to L.A., you know, and try to get an agent and do your thing, man. Like, you yeah. need to get the fuck out of here before it's too late. Yeah. So I'm glad I had him you yeah. know, to really sober me up and like tell me, like, get the fuck out of here. Oh, man. That's a real crossroads. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So so then you, you 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 did. You come up here and you just started hitting Came up it. here. I had nothing. I had like $2,000 in my bank account that I, you know, saved up from the strip club and the yeah. car lot. Yeah. I didn't want to live with my parents because they don't understand what stand-up is. They right. were just 
they're very disappointed in me at that point uh, because I didn't do what they wanted. I graduated right. with a college degree and I, I'm meandering. So I rented this dude's apartment for like 300 bucks on Craigslist, uh, his living room. Yeah. And I was just grinding it out. I was trying to do $50 gigs in Passive Robles, yeah, you know, sure. for some stand-up and uh, whatever I can get just to scrape by so I can live another day to maybe find an agent, yeah. find an audition. Yeah. And everybody was telling me, oh, I did this one commercial and it paid me 60 grand for one day of work. So I was just trying to do that. I never thought to be an actor yeah. at all. I was yeah. just trying to scrape by so I can keep doing comedy and figure myself out. Yeah. My goal was um, to develop a college act and I can make two grand a night doing college shows. Yeah. That was my fucking dream, you know, yeah. to find a college agent. Did you do it? I did it eventually, but oh my God, I did it's not those great, like, right? NACA conferences. Yeah, the worst. It was, I remember just sitting in a hotel room in like Minneapolis after right. I bombed. Yeah. I paid myself, I was broke, but I paid to fly out to Minneapolis. Yeah. I paid to the showcase your, fees and all that. And... Everything. And nobody wanted to fuck with me. Yeah. And I, I booked like maybe one or two colleges that was like 1500 bucks. Yeah. And I have to commission and whatever. Nah, I, I, the, what a racket. Oh my God. Yeah. And that was that. And, and I thought about quitting stand up in that hotel room in Minneapolis. I'm like, okay. Either I just completely, in a way, sell out and just do a shit hacky college act for these college kids, or I just, I, I can't, like, I, how am I going to make money doing this? That was another point of that where your, your, uh, your idea got shattered. Where you yeah. Knew, like, is it, like, do I sell my soul yeah. to the gangsters or to the college kids, or do I figure something else out? Exactly. Yeah. Like, at that point, I, I would rather go back to the strip club than do a fucking college act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounded, oh, my God. Because I just, you, you hear other friends, you're like, oh, my God, he just booked 100 colleges, and now he's fucking rich. Yeah, I know, I'm like, yo, but... I'm funnier than that motherfucker, you know? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's not what you want to be doing. Yeah. So... Yeah, so what'd you, how did it end up happening? What, what stepped in to make you stay in it? I, I, I don't know. I was still just meandering. Like, it was to a point that I was- But you're doing stand-up, though, right? Two, three times a week, or what? I was, but it was hard in LA. Like, I was nobody. Like, nobody was giving me stage time. I was yeah. back at the fucking haha. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would just get far in between. If I get a 20-minute set for 50 bucks in, like, fucking wine country in Santa Barbara, I was yeah. happy as hell. Yeah. But now this college thing was a bust. I really didn't see a way, yeah. like, to make it. Yeah. Um. And then eventually this agent took a chance on me. Really, really small one-woman agency yeah. in like Manhattan Beach. Really? And then she just started sending me on auditions. Yeah. Like, you know, game show host, <laughs> random non-union bullshit. Yeah, right. But then far and in between, like maybe once every two months, I'll get a good one. Like yeah. a two-line part on like Modern Family or something. Actually, one of the favorite part of my of, of the book is I have a hundred and one uh, auditions audition log. Yeah. Before the Silicon Valley audition. Yeah. And it's all these shit auditions, like uh, you know. Did you really keep a log? I did keep a log. Yeah. Because it was so important to me. I know if I just landed one of these two yeah. lines on Modern Family or whatever fuck. Yeah. That would change everything. Yeah. To me, like getting in SAG and getting one of those two line parts. Yeah. It would change anything. Yeah. Everything. But I was so bad at auditions. I never. I took an acting class in college. I didn't know how to act. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'd spend all the money I, I had to, you know, on acting classes, audition classes, which is a fucking different sport, yeah, right? Like right. even auditions, yeah. it's completely different. It's the worst. And um, I finally it. I found my footing. Yeah, I don't think anybody likes it. You just, I, I just tolerate gotta, it. Yeah, and I wasn't, but I wasn't cut out for it. I mean, for years, I mean, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't even have an agent like that. Cause I, I just, I, it's just, I can't, 
I'm not the guy. You know what I mean? You walk yeah. into those things. I'm like, I'm not the guy they want. Look at this shit. I think it falls to you. Eventually, the universe kind of answers. Yeah, if you to keep work at it. It's not like I can pick and choose like, okay, I, I would love to be an actor or I would love to just be that comedy store guy that eventually gets on Comedy Central and stuff like that. Yeah. Comedy store never fucked with me. Yeah. I was never passed or whatever, yeah. you know? But this agent fucked me, so that was like, that led me to my answer eventually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so man. you did some. You did other TV parts before Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, just a lot of small parts here and there. Yeah, my first job was two broke girls. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just two lines. Yeah, and that gave me my SAG card, and then that led to you know some bigger things. Yeah, uh, like guest star on Always Sunny, oh, some yeah. commercials that never aired. So I never made money, but I was like, oh shit. I'm seeing the most important thing I think being an artist is seeing that upward mobility. Yeah. Or with any job. Yeah. You might only be making fifty bucks at right. uh say, you know, Santa Barbara. Yeah. But last week you were making nothing. So yeah. that that was huge. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then the next day maybe you're making two hundred bucks on a non union commercial. That's huge to me. Oh yeah. It's just a step up. I remember like when having like two grand in your bank account, you're like, fuck yeah. Yeah, I'm fucking I'm rich, good. dude. I'm good for, I can get through the next month's rent, whatever, you know. Exactly. It's all about counting, okay, this two bro gross job, I got paid on a weekly rate, two grand. Yeah. Oh shit, that's three months of rent like yeah. four months of rent like yes that's thing. that's how you God. think like okay that that's a, that's always how you think as a comic it's like yes. you know i got enough to pay for this and but you don't want to fuck with the money you can't you still no. can't treat yourself yeah you know because like it's my i might not get anything it's all about how many months of rent you got in your bank account exactly how many months you can stay afloat and if if you got six months like lead leadway, like that is huge. Great, that is great. You're like, oh, in six months I can I can come up with some money. Yeah, yeah. Or in six months I can figure something out. Right, right. And yeah. maybe that was if I bust out in six months, I bust out, I move home with my parents, yeah. and go do finance or yeah. whatever. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know. So how did Silicon Valley happen? It was one of those auditioning parts. Oh yeah. Um, it was a very small role. I auditioned for it. Actually, I auditioned for it twice. The first time I auditioned for it- Was it for the first season or second season? First season. It was first season? Yeah. I auditioned for it for the first time when I was the pilot, and it was one of the main characters. And uh, I didn't get it. Never heard back. And then I auditioned a second time. It was only a two, three-line part, and I got it. Didn't think much of it. It's just another guest star, like two poor girls. Yeah. 20, you know, 900 bucks a day in a single camera shoot. And uh, I did it. They liked me. They brought me back for another episode- and me and TJ had a scene, and that was like, we really felt some kind of chemistry there. Yeah. Just something very Lauren Hardy about yeah. this duel. And then um, we did one more episode. I didn't think much of it. You know, yeah. I was just happy to. Yeah. That was my first recurring gig, which yeah. again, only pay me 900 bucks times three, $2,700. Yeah. But it wasn't about that. It was about the upward mobility. Yeah. I was one off guest star to now a recurring guest star. I can put that shit on my resume. Right. Um, but we didn't know if the show was going to be a hit, and I definitely didn't think I was going to come back for a second season or anything. Yeah. So I actually used that $2,700 uh, to buy a 2006 Prius for a down payment um, so I can uh, drive Uber yeah. to stay afloat. Because now you can just stay afloat. Yeah. If you can drive Uber, yeah. you know, it's like teaching a man to fish, teaching a man to drive Uber, you can just fucking live in LA now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, and then eventually, uh, it is a crazy story that... Um, that happened between season one and season two. I was still auditioning, yeah. right? And uh, I auditioned. I got this other part as a series regular on a Yahoo series. Uh-huh. Yahoo was trying to do the whole streaming sure. thing. Yeah. And a series regular, that was fucking huge. Yeah, right? of course. And that would be life-changing. Yeah. But they said, uh, if you do this, you can't do Silicon Valley or HBO show because they're competitors yeah. in streaming. And HBO 
might not have let me so i have to pick one or the other yeah and i was like holy shit like they gave us the deadline like literally it's like a fucking like movie it's like you got until 12 p.m to call us back yeah or else the deal's off the table yeah and then of course i was like holy shit this i think it was like 7500 dollars an episode for 10 episodes 75 grand for a comic yeah that just driving uber to yeah. stay afloat living in a one-bedroom apartment with three fucking roommates yeah that was a huge fucking deal but then i'm like dude like what if silicon valley comes back like i need to do silicon valley like that show yeah. i think at that point like maybe we've gotten nominated for an emmy yeah and also hbo's prestigious absolutely yahoo's yahoo so my agent at the time <laughs> well, yeah yeah like who the fuck who, who has a <laughs> yahoo streaming app on their apple tv right yeah so at that point I is think it even around anymore i that was their own, one and only season of any shows they did two shows and that was one of it <laughs> seems like you did the right thing yeah what and then your agent say they were, she was like well i don't know and then i was like well, I think I really want to do Silicon Valley, you know, and yeah. just, let's see if we can play hardball. And then she was like, you know what? Let me call Silicon Valley, see if they will match the series regular offer. And I was like, no, you're fucking crazy. You're stupid. Mike Judge is going to think I'm a fucking asshole. They're never going to call me back yeah. again. Are you serious? I had like five words in the first season. And then I guess they liked me enough. They matched the offer, uh, you know, of making me a series regular. And then I just remembered I was, this was 11 a.m., I was at the Grove. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was drinking a beer at the farmer's market. Yeah. 11 a.m. was just a bunch of other fucking alcoholics. Yeah. And I was so fucking stressed out waiting for my agent to call me back. I was in my sweats. And on on the Grove trolley, you know, they have this decorative yeah. trolley. I was just on the trolley. And then I just remember <laughs> I got the phone call. My agent's like, Silicon Valley's going to make you a series regular. And I just started like weeping it on the fucking trolley. I was like, fuck yeah. Like just that was, I know that moment was going to change my life. And yeah. you know, it did. That, that, that was the breaking point. Yeah. So you're half drunk and crying on the trolley <laughs> at the Grove. <laughs> at 11.30 a.m. <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. That's I still a good, remember that's that. That's an uplifting moment. Yeah. And, and you know, it comes with a bit of, uh, you know, right, right place, right time, right? If I guess it wasn't, so it was also some pretty good agenting on her part. For sure, for sure. And uh, I will always thank her uh, yeah. in the book. I'm not with her now. She's, right. you know, a bit smaller, you know. But I will always thank her. Like, she did that for me, you know. And she was the first one that believed in me. Yeah. You know, when nobody did. Like, I, I remember I went to, like, a fucking, like, apartment uh, rental office to audition for an agent. <laughs> yeah. And I read a Staples commercial. Yeah. And I got rejected. Uh-huh. You know, and, and then this lady took a chance on me. And um, yeah, and then What's she your name? got me to Jane Shulman. She's with Vesta Talent Agency. Uh-huh. I think she's still around. Um, and, and I gave her a shout out on the book. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, I always give people credits too. And all the casting directors that helped me out along the way. Sure. You know, uh, like Wendy O'Brien. She was the one that cast me for Always Sunny and um, actually the Yahoo show. Uh-huh. That eventually led to my series regular role. I, I gave her a shout out. And then the assholes, like uh, the guy, the fucking guy on Modern Family, that cast Modern Family, Jeff I, Greenberg I, I or something. Know. Yeah. That guy's a fucking dick. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to start beef with anyone, but like, <laughs> literally, like I was, I was just, it was one of my first auditions and I was in Modern Family, nervous as shit, you yeah. know, reading two lines. Yeah. And, and then he gave me a note and I was like, oh, so you mean I'm actually genuine? I'm not lying to her. You know, I was just trying to get my foot in. Yeah. He was like, Jesus Christ, just tell me, just do what I tell you. Just like, yeah. I was this like innocent young actor. Like, how could it just yeah. shook my confidence, man? You know, but like, how could you do that? How could you be so mean to some guy that just never yeah. done nothing to you? So fuck him. <laughs>
Fuck him. Now I can say, I don't ever plan on being a modern family. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah. Good. I'm happy to hear. Like, yeah. It's weird the ones you carry with you, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's good. I, I actually don't, deep down, I don't care. Yeah. You know? Uh, but when you think about that moment, you're like, oh, fuck that guy. I don't fucking need yeah, that. It yeah. It just, it feels good almost to sell someone, to have somebody in your mind to tell the fuck off. Absolutely. Yeah. So you and TJ had a thing, you uh, know, and yeah. it really paid off. I, I, were you upset when he left? Uh, I was sad. Yeah. I was very sad. And Did it, you see it coming? Was he sort of like coming unhinged somehow? I, I, I didn't see it coming uh. myself. He, he He's like my best friend on the show. He's yeah. my buddy. Every scene of me was with him. And honestly, without TJ- I don't know if I would have made it. Yeah. You know, my character would have made it. I don't yeah. know, if, you know, it would yeah. be where it is now. And we're just such a chemistry. We trusted each other yeah. and it was just great. It was just some kind of magic happened between yeah. like season two, season three. And then he just called me in the middle of the night. He was like, I'm not coming back, you know. And yeah. I tried to convince him to come back. Yeah. And, um, but his mind was made up, you know. He wanted to go be a movie star. He wanted to move to New York with his wife. Yeah. You know. And uh, yeah, I was sad and also scared in a way. Yeah, because I didn't know where my character was going to go uh-huh. without TJ. But I think it turned out to be a blessing in disguise for my character. Selfishly, yeah. I would love to still be working with TJ, but it just became a thing where um, my character get to fly a little more and yeah. kind of have its own plot line, be a uh, you know ha- have its own opinions and kind of you know mess with the other characters a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You turn out to be great this so past you, season. you can do like a dynamic, you, get, you can evolve a dynamic with all the other guys. Exactly. Yeah, instead yeah. of just a me and TJ relationship. Right. Which I would have been happy to do for the next 15 years. Yeah, yeah. You know? It was fun. It, w- it was very fun. It was, I just know I was going to ha- uh, go on set and have fun and we throw ideas out. Yeah. It might not work, but it will be, I think that's the best part uh, about the show is we throw ideas out and they'll throw outlines out and it's a very um, collaborative environment. Yeah. Everybody's so good. Oh, that's great. And that was my first show and I'm so spoiled. Now I'm doing movies and other shows. Are, yeah. is, it, is it over or you do, is they doing more Silicon Valley? There's more. Yeah. There, there's more. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come back. Uh, I, I don't know exactly when because I think uh, Alec and Mike is busy running, you know, Barry and Mike's other show, Tales on the Tour Bus, which is a very good show. Uh, but, It'll come back. Uh, we've taken a little longer hiatus, but yeah. it should come back. And you just did the, um, what's that big movie? Oh, Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. Is that going to be funny? That's going to be great. Yeah? That, I'm not just saying that. There's yeah. movies I've done where I'm like, you don't need to go fucking see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's going to be great. Oh, real quick, HBO told me that I have to, right? I yeah. have to say- Oh, I'll take care of it. Oh, okay, you got it. Okay. Yeah. Was, right. The DVDs of the first three seasons, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, or first five now. First I five? I think the fifth season's coming out on DVD in September. Okay. Yeah. Crazy Rich Asians, I mean, that is something I'm extremely, extremely excited about. Yeah, hey, I've heard a little bit about it. What is it about? It's based on three books. Yeah. Uh, the first book's called Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Um, it's a best-selling novel uh, about kind of like a satire about like these billionaire Singaporeans but have like ridiculous problems. Mm-hmm. And it's a really heartfelt story about this girl in New York meeting this guy, didn't know he was actually a billionaire, going back to their family for a wedding and then realizing she's not accepted by the family. So the themes are very universal. Family, yeah. acceptance, you know, uh, classism, things like that. Yeah. But it's the first studio movie in 25 years that's with a full Asian cast. Oh. Since Joy Luck Club. It's like historic. Historic. So at first when I read the script, I'm like, okay, this is something I have to do. Like, yeah, I, I would love to do it. I would love to be Big part, part of it. Uh, every, it's such an ensemble cast. Yeah. I think it's a very fun part. Yeah. I play like a really insane asshole in oh, this, good. which I love. Yeah. Too. It's in a way like 
the kings of comedy, but the kings of in general of you have like beautiful model looking Asians, like yeah. the really talented Asians from everywhere, great actors, funny Asians, yeah. and it's the first time that I felt I'm not kind of judged by because here's the thing. Sadly, when you do Silicon Valley, whatever. You're usually the only Asian person there. Yeah. And Asians are underrepresented in, you know, mostly in most media. So you get judged. Like, are you being a good representation of Asian or good representation or bad representation of Asian? Yeah. But I just want to be judged for my performance. Like, am I funny? Am I not funny? Yeah. Like when you go do your show, you you don't get judged by like, oh, Mark Maron's a good white man or a bad white man. Yeah. It's just either Mark Maron's a good actor or a bad actor. Yeah. I want that, right? Yeah, right. I don't want to have to worry about being that. But I get where that's coming from. Right. Because each of us carries so much weight when yeah. we are on screen because yeah. we're one of the few. So now it's just all of you. This is all of us. And I yeah. could just be as crazy, as funny, as ridiculous as I want. And it just felt so fucking good, yeah. man. Yeah. And we shot in Malaysia and Singapore and everybody was on the same page, dude. That was like... Me finding my creed again, you yeah, know, yeah. in the acting community. Yeah, everybody had parents that didn't wish they were actors. <laughs> yeah. Everybody down to eat food in a way that you know I don't have to convince. It's like Mark. If, if I come to you, I'm like, hey, Mark, let, let's go get some Chinese food. I have to kind of convince you. I'm like, this place is cool. You're gonna like it. It's not gonna be some weird shit. You can handle it. Yeah. But no, over there we all just down to like try the you know whatever authentic stuff and all that. Yeah. And you got you know the best Asian people from uh uh. Australian Asians, American Asians, Singaporean Asians, and we all in the lobby of this hotel in fucking Singapore. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but every show I've done, every movie I've done, even Silicon Valley, I've been there for five years, I have two people that I'm actually close with that I hang out with. Yeah. Mike Judge, TJ, that we actually talk, we hang out. Yeah. Everybody else, very nice, friendly, we're acquaintances, we work together, we're yeah. colleagues. Right. But on this Crazy Rich Asians, we're like family. Yeah. Like, I'm going to the director's wedding next week. Oh, wow. You know, and... Uh, Every time somebody come from England and they're in the movie, we hang out. Yeah. You crash my house. I can crash your house. Yeah. We're just family, man. That's they're just great. such an understanding. So That's exciting. I'm excited for the movie. Open soon, right? August 15th. And uh, it's actually just a fun, nice movie. Yeah. I'm, I, know, it sounds great. great. I love Ken. Yeah. He's yeah. so funny. He's funny. And uh, you don't have to be Asian to watch it, man. It's just so fucking fun. And it's just, it just feels warm and fuzzy, I think, oh, for everyone. It makes you cry. It makes you laugh. So I think it's going to be great. Oh, that's a, that's great to hear. It sounds like a great experience. And you're working with Steve Byrne on that thing. Yeah. You just finished that. The How'd that come act. out, you think? How'd that feel? Uh, we just wrapped yesterday, actually. It, I'm completely exhausted. Is it, is it his story? It's his story, right? It's his story, a very detailed look into stand-up comedy Mm. um it's a movie so and it's some great great comics uh you know cedric the entertainer alex moffitt from like uh snl so peters brett ernst was there yesterday ken jong's in it um i mean just just every the who's who that's great yeah well i'm glad you know because he did the tv show he keeps he keeps plugging away steve oh yeah and you like the script i like the script it was very hard very honest as a stand-up i think it will be it will it will like make you feel some kind of way, and also it gives you know a normal audience a really in depth look. It's called the opening act, so the movie takes place throughout the whole weekend of um uh his this guy me my first weekend yeah 
at a comedy club at an improv. Uh huh. You know, just trying tribulation, like trying to impress the headliner. Right. Trying to should I go out drinking or not? Yeah. Should I quit my job back home? Stuff like that, and it's in depth. The whole movie it's just this one weekend from Comics Thursday movie. to Sunday. Oh, okay. And I think it turned out great. It's my first time playing a lead, so I was really fucking stoked for it. But it's an indie, so it was exhausting. 19 yeah. days, 12 yeah. hour days. I was in every fucking scene. Yep. And I, I mean, I'm completely spent. But it's something I think we can all be proud of, and, oh, and hopefully, great. looking back, we'll, we'll, we'll all be happy about. You know. Great man, and the book is out. How to American, and you got it's great. You got a lot going on. It's great talking to you. It's real fun. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. That was Jimmy O. Yang. Funny guy, quirky guy, smart guy, uh, very engaging. I enjoyed that conversation immensely. Again, the Beacon Theater tickets are on sale to the general public starting Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Also, new shirts are available now at podswag.com slash WTF or the merch page at WTFpod.com. And that's uh, that's what happens. That's where that's where we're at today. That's that's it. All right. I play maybe I'll play something. I got the other guitar out here. There's something wrong with my arm, man. <laughs>